Anti-Semitism is one of the most widespread and enduring forms of bigotry, a sickness as old as Western civilization. The robust relationship between Jews and the American theater, writes Jesse Green, the New York Times chief theater critic in her December 3rd essay, Here We Are, contends that it's the stage rather than the screen or even the pages of a novel where Jewish life in the United States has found its most vivid and nuanced expression. And why is that? Hi there, podcast friends. I'm Fran McGarry, host of First Online with Fran's There's No Place Like Art. Today's guest, Adrian Williams, actor, director, educator, is a storyteller who's dedicated to shedding light on subjects that matter to her. Welcome, Adrian. Hi, Fran. So Green writes about that singular joy of seeing and making theater. Part of the thrill of theater, she notes, is knowing that we're participating in one of the oldest forms in history. The audience, the actors, and the crew are all in collaboration. There's no other art that does what theater does. They're creating an artificial world, and we're allowing ourselves to be seduced by that world. And in an age where everything can be tweaked or edited or redone or enhanced or theatrical performance simply exists. Its imperfections are inseparable from its visceral power. American playwright Tony Kushner believes that one of the great pleasures of art and one of the great reasons that we have it is to be able to witness leaps of empathic imagination. Empathic imagination. Let us all have more of that. Without it, we are doomed. It's a good lesson to remember as we navigate our current era. What has been your experience as a storyteller through the lens of your artistry, Adrian? Well, I think that for me, one of the things that's been really impactful for me is that um, learning that theater can actually matter, that theater can like affect change, that people can like walk into a theater and actually like walk out thinking about something and talking about something and having conversations about something that they didn't think about before they came in the theater, that you actually have an impact. And I think that, that that's been like a really big part of my journey. I think that part started in Atlanta, uh, which strangely enough, I, I spent a little time there. And while I was there, I got to, you know, play like Coretta Scott King and, you know, Malcolm X and Sister Betty. And I really like got this whole other feeling about theater as really telling a story that impacts people rather than entertains people. Because I think as a kid growing up, like seeing it, you see, oh, I get to be entertained and this is fun and I sing songs. But there was something about that experience of like, really seeing people affected by what I did that opened my eyes to a whole other world and so many more possibilities. And where are you now from that initial journey? 
it's interesting because I think then I wasn't aware and I think now I am aware, you know, so that I think that when people bring me projects, I get excited about what that project can say. Uh, last uh, season, I did a production of Paris uh, by Ebony Booth, which is about this young woman you know, who's working in a store and dealing with like unions and being seen and belonging. And I thought, wow, like there, I, as a teacher and educator, so I meet so many young women who have that issue, like with belonging and being seen. And I can actually do a play where they can come in and see themselves and be affected. And so that for me was like really, really exciting. And so I feel like it's really made a difference in the projects that I choose, that I'm now choosing projects where I see that this story, you know, has that kind of power, kind of ability. Yeah. yeah. And you, you mentioned as an educator, this is something you want to share. You want to allow your students to, to understand that. What's involved in that process exactly? You know, how do you... How do you teach that? You, you're you at, at Juilliard, right? I teach at Hunter College and I'm a project director at Juilliard at NYU, yes. So yeah, so it's a really interesting thing. I mean, I think with the students, I mean, of course, the great thing is I get to do theater projects with them. Last semester, I did a production of Sweat at Hunter. It was really great for them because they really felt that they were playing characters that they understood. They were playing working class people. They weren't playing like some, you know, fancy person in a British play or something that they were really excited that they were playing characters that reminded them of their moms and dads that felt like people they knew and they understood. And they got to have a whole new understanding of the passion and the pain behind what drives somebody when they're feeling like that life that they know that they're losing it. Mm. And I think that being able to tell that story for them really made a difference in, in being seen and being seen, you know, like during uh, COVID, the um, essential workers, like that became like a phrase that people threw around all the time, you know, who are the essential workers and what do the essential workers do? And I think that in doing that show, they got to sort of feel like what, what that meant to really be essential and then have that thing that you feel like you do that is essential sort of pulled away or not you know considered important because the the corporate you know world is more important than you somehow and so i think that they really got to experience that and then share that with their family with their friends with their peers in school and i think that really made a difference for them in terms of like just feeling like their own power and feeling that they had some power to affect change. So I get to share that and give that to young people, which I don't think there's any better feeling than that, to really give yeah. them that feeling that they have some power. You're preaching to the choir here. Yeah, I was a, <laughs> a, a theater teacher for 30 years. And to your point about making an impact on these young people is what brings us joy. And I think many times we have no idea that we had that kind of influence. Last week, I heard back from a student. He was a troubled kid and had a drinking problem, dropped out of school, and he wanted to audition for Brigadoon as the drunk. So I let him audition, and then he was perfect for the part. And I, I said to him, I worked with the associate principal, and I said, you can be in this play, 
but you have to get back in school and you have to go to all your classes. And I made him sign a card and have each teacher sign that he attended class. And I said to him, you miss one day or one class, I will kick you out of the show. I don't care if it's the day before and I have to read the script on stage myself. And he said to me, and I believed you. (laughs) (laughs) And here is this man who contacted me last week, dealt with his addiction, and he became probably one of the finest Shakespearean actors of all time. He's amazing, amazing talent. Went into the business, got his card, the whole thing. I don't remember saying or threatening those things. <laughs> but he said, you were a disciplinarian, but it is the theater that I used as a means to help him find his voice and help him find his way. You have a story like that? Yeah. Well, I mean, I think one of the things that really like kicked off this ability for theater and education to meet for me is I I once did a play called Rites, Rituals and Rights, which is a play about the women who were involved in the civil rights movement. And uh, we did this play and it was like really fantastic. I got to play, you know, like Shirley Chisholm and, you know, it was like, it was a really great experience. And we went along and we did it. It was beautiful. But one day we had this student matinee. And at the end of the student matinee, there was a talk back. And so at the end of the talk back, this young woman came to the mic and she raised her hand and she said, I have something to say. And we said, okay. And she said, I just want to know why as a young woman in America, I never heard of these women. I've never been taught this history. I don't know who Ella Baker is. I don't know who Fannie Lou Hamer is. Nobody ever taught me this. And I want to know why. And all of a sudden I realized that I had the ability to fill that space. And I think, you know, like learning that made a huge difference in being in this business and wanting to be in this business and wanting to find ways to bring education and theater together. Absolutely. And we know for a fact that it changes, it transforms people's lives. I want to get back to, you mentioned about unions. The SAG contract was just approved today by by its membership. And there's a lot of grouching about some of the things that we had to compromise about but the bottom line is it's ever evolving you know this technology is ever evolving and we rely on our unions to protect our rights i absolutely think that i mean i think that there's ups and downs in every union contract there's you know pluses and minuses some things are going to work for us some things aren't going to work for us but the thing is is that without them we really have no control. And I think that's the thing that we have to remember is, you know, like there's a lot of conversation about AI and, you know, what will happen to AI. But prior to this contract, there were no stipulations about AI at all in regard to actors. And it was already happening. You know, I know actors who didn't even realize that their image had been copied and was replicated uh, on a feature film. This is what we have. And, you know, we have to, as creatives, you know, we've got to face the reality that our art is being threatened and that we have to remain vigilant, right? 
Yes, absolutely. And I do think that I'm I'm wondering too, like as this progresses, I wonder if it does in some way bring us back a little bit more to the theater. Cause I know sometimes people think, you know, like film, you know, that's a bigger, it's a bigger audience and people really are attracted more to film than to theater. But I do wonder because the wonderful thing about theater is that each performance is different. It's a live performance. That performance that you see is unique to you in that evening. And that really can't be copied. It really is unique in that moment. That is a piece of art that that audience and that cast create in that moment on that night. And so I wonder if we become a little bit more drawn to that art, knowing that it is unique and honest and authentic in every time. And it's not, you know, somebody can't, you know, sort of put a like a, a faux like background person in the background or something that it's really going to be unique in that moment. And why it's so important that we we hold on to this as theater artists and maintain that it will continue on for years to come. What can you do, you know, as a teacher, as a storyteller, to perpetuate and maintain this art we call theater? Yeah, I mean, I think it's really important for us to let our students know like how important and how special this art is. Because I think students generally see what's what's the most readily seen you know they see the the games you know they see what's on tv they see what's streaming uh but but i think it's on us you know the people who have been here on this planet a little bit longer and have seen all the different machinations come about to really give them that information and that so that we instill that love of the theater and artistry in them and let them know that they are artists and that they have the power to create that art in that moment. And, you know, it may entail, uh, it might somehow like AI may be a part of that somehow in their life. But if I think if they really believe that they can be artists, that it's not, you know, because for so long, just think of how like people would be like, if their child said, oh, I want to be an artist, they'd be, no, 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 be a doctor, be a lawyer, be anything but that, you know? <laughs> so <laughs> Right, right, yeah. So I think that if we let them know it's possible and it's not the, you know, this awful thing and they're not going to be unhappy and starving, but that there is work and there is like an art and an appreciation for that art and that they are a part of creating the appreciation for future generations. If they know that, then it's so much more impactful for them and that they have something to go towards. Well, you already mentioned that the plays that you do have to have a specific message for you. What kind of political context can you talk about in terms of your work? And you know, at this stage of our lives also, there's a challenge to that, not in being the age that we are, but in finding the work age that we are, right? Yes, absolutely. Um, I think that's really true. I mean, I think like for me, like I always think back to like when, you know, when I was a kid, when I was a kid, I was really, really close to my grandmother. My grandmother was born in 1913 and she lived in South Carolina. So they were not allowed to have higher than a sixth grade education at that time. If you were a black woman in that town, you could only have a sixth grade education. Wow. But my grandmother loved education and she loved to read. She would get the newspaper every day and read it from 
beginning to end. And when I went to college, that was so exciting for her. And I came home like on weekends, I went to, um, and I brought my book so that she could read them. So I wanted her to be able to read what I read so that we could then talk about it because she was so excited about education. And so I think creating that excitement and that love for education in students, it's always been important to me. And actually, I think now that I'm older, I want to see that appreciation bigger, like in the world. And so I will say that the next project that I'm working on is a play that really, that is about that. That's about education and the system of education that we live in and how important it is to create our future. Because we are, when we educate a student today, we are creating part of our future tomorrow. And so I think that allowing that message to get out into the world to me is really important because sometimes, you know, with all the things going on now, as you mentioned, like in this world where people are banning books and things are happening, just to put out there that like this education system is so important and so important to our future that we all, even if we don't have kids, we have a part of it because it's those kids are going to like be our future. You got it. And why we need to continue to call out these efforts to censor material ideas and books. Like you said, it's it's live. When you're on the stage, it's live, it's happening. Here is a mirror into where we can be and what we can be. I think it's gonna, we're gonna be around here for a long time. <laughs> so, so. <laughs> yeah, let's, let's hope so, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Who just died today, the famous 100-year-old Norman Lear. Oh, Norman Lear. I got to meet him. That's sad. I did. Um, I do some work, some speaking of sort of political, I do some work with a group called um the Fair Housing Justice System. At Fair Housing, a lot of what they do is this sort of like testing on like different housing discrimination issues. And Norman Lear actually heard about it, thought it was really interesting and wanted to experience it. So he actually went out on a test and had this experience and was a part of really supporting this group and what they did for like, I don't know, for I think at least three or three or four years. I think at the time he was maybe only like, you know, 95. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so. Ageism be damned, right? <laughs> so, what an amazing thing that he was still engaged in like what was going on in the world and how he could affect it, even, you know, at 90 something. Like that's amazing. I mean, I think that's a lesson for us all to learn. Absolutely. You know, Biden says, you know, what are you going to bet the whole age thing that circles him and goes, you know, what what can you do at your age and what can you offer? And he said, wisdom. Yeah, absolutely. And that's so important. I mean, there's not enough of it. And I, I find like, I always know that I find when I run into students, like you were talking about your student, students who have relationships with older people seem to be able to navigate so much better in the world. And, and so I really have been noticing that. And I think that's kind of amazing. That's really interesting. Yeah. To have a, some kind of mentor. Yes. Uh, to show that, yeah, I know this story, been there before. I just finished reading uh, Rachel Maddow's book, Prequel, you know, the history of fascism in the United States. I had no idea. And why Alfred Urey's play, as many years ago as it was written, Parade, 
won the Tony Award. I worked with Alfred Urey. He was the was. president of the board of Sondheim's Young Playwrights. Yes. And I, I got to know him. He would come in and do workshops, uh, playwriting workshops with young playwrights. And going back to what you were saying, you know, how here is this man, you know, he was in his 70s or 80s at the time. I mean, what were these 15 and 16 year olds looking up to this guy and, you know, changing, changing their world and a play about anti-Semitism. It's there. It's an issue. Yeah, that mentorship is so important because I think not only are the younger artists learning from the artists with experience, but I feel like it's also a way to see the possibilities of the future. Do you know what I mean? To see like, okay, if this person is doing this at 78, then I, I got plenty of time. You know, I can absolutely <laughs> do this. If time is not running out for me, like I have plenty of time and that art is ageless. I mean, I think what it tells us is there's no number on art. You really, like as long as your heart is in it, you can do it. And that's a fantastic thing because very often we do put age limits on things and we put age limits on people. And I don't think that that's necessarily so. And I think these people are teaching us this, that it's absolutely possible. And that mentorship, you know, wow, like how important that is. I think there is something about that relationship. You know, you, you, you know, you talked about it in education, but that relationship to somebody who has sort of been there and seen it before and is then giving you kind of like a window into that possibility. I just think that's kind of amazing. And I think that, you know, teachers very often, I think, don't get a lot of a lot of love for what they do. I think that was the one thing about COVID that I think really, like, I felt like parents all of a sudden learned what teachers did because they had to do it during COVID. <laughs> I think all of a sudden they were like, oh my God, wow, they're doing all of this. <laughs> we didn't give them enough credit for that. And so I definitely think that there is something now that we're in a place where we're seeing this. And I think more shows are being done that have that kind of mentorship or educator or what that relationship is, because I think we learned so much more about it during COVID that I think that it really is like a current conversation now. And so I'm, you know, really kind of excited to be able to, you know, tell that story and put that story out there. And what is that story? I'm doing this, I'm working on this project. The project is called Fish. It's by Kia Korthron and it's going to go up in the spring in April. And it's a play about this young woman who is trying to navigate the system, the public school system. Mm -hmm. And while she's trying to do this, one of the floors of her school is taken over by a charter school. And so, but she doesn't get into the charter school. So she has to figure out how to navigate. And she has this one teacher who comes into the school, who she's been in the school previously, but she hasn't been there in seven years. She comes back to the school and they form this relationship and we get to watch this relationship as we watch the play. And so we see not only their relationship, but their relationship in regards to the education system and how it's treating them and how they have to maneuver their way through it. And I think that that 
that conversation is so poignant right now because we are going through lots of changes in school systems and making lots of changes. I mean, here in New York, we're deciding if the mayor is the person to be in charge of the school system right now. Uh, so I think it's really current. And I think it's something that we all get to think about because it's a part of all of our lives, you know? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I, I want to go back a little bit too about having mentors and people who influenced your life. And you talked about your grandmother. What kind of role models can you, at this stage of your career, do you look to? Because we always are evolving. We're always growing, always reinventing ourselves. Where are you now in terms of who's your hero? That's a great question. I definitely think that it is the people who keep going and keep reinventing themselves. I, as a kid, my mom told me that, you know, you could do that. But I have to say, I didn't know what the picture of it was as a kid. But I see now like people like say like a Rita Moreno, who is like reinventing herself all the time. I don't feel like she will ever stop. I just feel like she has that feeling that lets you know that it's okay to keep going. It's okay. You are a Broadway star. You can also be a TV star. You can also write a book. I mean, I just think that there is like that ability to keep sort of like morphing into whatever your spirit has feel for. Yeah. You know, where, where does it come from? That was, I mean, I was raised in this, you know, traditional Italian Catholic home. Girls don't go to school and get to be a, be a, a nurse maybe, you know, not, and not to cast aspersion. We are experiencing a, a nurse uh, shortage as we, but I just, I, I just always have this drive. Like I no longer finish something then I'm like, oh, maybe, maybe I should write a book about that. And that's, that's what I'm doing now. You know, to your point, Adrian, how the support that I've gotten is just people are supporting me in ways that are like, yeah, you're writing something about the Young Playwrights Festival. Well, they changed my life. So what about you? Yeah, that's fantastic. I belong to this group called the Honor Roll. I don't know if you've heard of them. They're a fantastic group and they really do focus on writers who are women who are over 40. During COVID, which of course was the time when we were all down, I was actually able to have one of my short plays published. And so like I am a published playwright. You know what I mean? And, you know, not at 25, you know what I mean? And so I just feel like the possibilities, like doors are opening to me that I never knew were possible. I, I have to say, like, I didn't know. And so I think there's a part of me that's always going to be that kid who's like opening the present at Christmas and can't wait. And, and I think what you said really touched me in terms of like that support, because I didn't know I would find support for this at this time in my life. And so just like those women who said, nope, you know, you want to do it, let's do it. Like, what do you got? Like, I love that. She persisted. And I'm so glad that you persisted and that we got to have uh, this conversation. We could probably go on for another hour, but I want to thank you. Thank you, Fran. I really enjoyed our conversation. Find out more about what Fran is up to. Go to her website at firstonlinewithfran.com. This program was produced by March Hare Media and recorded at We Chief Studio Productions. <laughs>